Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Bob Lachance. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So like we were talking beforehand, I, I get people come in and they, you know, they talk about real estate investing and everything that they're doing, but very rarely do I get the opportunity to talk to a former professional hockey player. And I played hockey my whole life. My son plays hockey. I think I'm probably the only uh, quote unquote podcaster influencer, whatever you want to call it, that would actually put an hour long video of his son playing hockey on his YouTube channel like I did. Uh, but I was so excited. He actually scored his first hat trick in American Airlines Center where the Dallas Stars play uh, this, this past winter. So I was so proud of him. I had to throw it on there for everybody to see. Uh, I was talking to my son this morning at breakfast and I told him, hey, I'm I'm interviewing a, a former professional hockey player, and I told him my first question would be, if you had any advice for someone who's obsessed with hockey, like a, like my seven-year-old son, what advice would you give him? I would give him to work hard and have fun. And I think both of those go in the same kind of sentence because, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, just have fun. Well, I, I've realized coaching kids and coaching, you know, adults as well is the harder they work, the more fun they have. It's pretty interesting. Right. We have some people that say, hey, just have fun. Guess what? If you just have fun, fun is, is really, it's conducive to the work ethic that you put into it. I think that correlates to business too, man. That's really sound <laughs> advice across the board. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, the harder I work in my business and the, the more productivity we have, I have a lot more fun in my business. <laughs> uh so uh that being said uh for those that don't know bob you know he won a national championship at boston university in the 90s and also had an eight-year professional uh, hockey career that's why I, I asked that question I'm, I'm a huge hockey fan and uh just super excited to be able to sit down and talk to you so after your your professional career what made you dive into real estate investing you know right when i finished well let me rephrase this i was two classes short, two core classes short for getting my degree. So I had a choice, either I could have gone back to college or jumped into an industry where I didn't need a degree. So I figured, you know what? I read a lot of books on real estate and uh, I grew up, my father was a contractor. So I figured, you know what? I don't want to go back to school. So I figured I'd jump into real estate. So for me, it was a very easy trend. It wasn't an easy transition, don't get me wrong. Any transition to jumping into a different profession is difficult. But it was a transition that I made because I did, I did not want to go back to school is really the real reason. <laughs> so, all right, walk, walk me through this process. You know, you're you're playing hockey. Um, you know, I mean this with all due respect because, look, hey, I always wanted to be a professional uh, athlete of some sort. Um, it, it Me looking at your career, it looked like you were sort of a journeyman, you know, and, yep. and yep. never really made the, the big bucks like, you know, people always date professional athletes make. Um, so you come out of this and now you're deciding, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into real estate investing. How long was that process and, and what did that look like? You know, I mean, did, did you immediately just jump into flipping houses or what did that look like? 
Yeah. So at, towards the end of my career, when I was, I was probably four years in, I was four years, I was playing here in the United States for four years. Then I went to Europe for four years. Money is a little different over there than here, but usually as a journeyman, like you said, very well, very well put, um, you know, you're, you're paying for a paycheck, right? It's a job, right? It's all what it is, right? So every year you're trying to get another job, another job. And that's the, that's what youth sports is all about. Even, you know, the guys making the big bucks, um, the, the money train runs out. So if you don't think ahead, to what's going to happen next. It's kind of like us in real estate. When I look at, you know, what we need in real estate, if we're only wholesaling properties, you know what, that's a job and we're not right. buying passively. It's the same kind of concept as, as professional sports. I don't care if you're, you know, you're, you're making a ton of money right now. Guess what? That money dries up if you don't look ahead. So it's the same kind of concept. So I was always looking ahead, looking ahead. My wife was working here in the United States in pharmaceutical medical sales. So I knew that she had a steady job. Um, so my transition from sports was going to be a little difficult because it was it was me personally looking at it saying, all right, how is my self-worth? How am I going to look at myself every day? What am I going to do to feel like I'm part of the team again? Because when you grow up as part of a team, very, very difficult. Now you're on an island by yourself saying, how the hell am I going to make money? Right. And it's really the self-worth side of it. So. Um, when I first got in, I really, so I took this course, uh, it was probably about that thick, like, <laughs> huge course back in the day, you know, um, and it taught me how to farm areas. So I got in the car and for me personally, it, the, the good thing about me is I work my ass off. doesn't matter what it is that I do. I work hard. Um, I don't sleep that often, um, which is, I don't know, I guess it's good and bad, but you know, I got up <laughs> at 5, 5.30 this morning and just looking up and just thinking, got up, rode the bike um, and, you know, Got on this podcast and I figured, you know, when you start looking at that stuff, it's, it's action. You have to take action whatever industry you're in. So I learned how to farm areas and I got in the car, literally drove neighborhoods all day long, back and forth. Uh, I saw a property that was beat up, called the the agent. This is a listed property. Uh, property is listed for $175,000. This is back in 2004. So my numbers might be, you know, a little bit off. It's a long time ago. Listed for around 175-ish. I uh, put an offer in for 135. They came back and they accepted it. And I looked at my wife and I'm like, "What the heck are we going to do now?" <laughs> you know, I didn't have contracts. I didn't know what a contractor was at the time. I've been out of the industry. My father was a building inspector at this point, so he's been out of the industry, kind of. You know, so it was one of those things. It was uh, we had to figure it out. We found money. We found contractors. Hit the ground running. Made 30. I think it was 32 thousand dollars on that first deal, which was great. But there's another but to that, that you realize very quickly that you do not have any systems. I didn't know what marketing was. I didn't, you know, I didn't build the, like, it's just, it was just the beginning. Um, there was none of these podcasts around. So I joined my uh, real estate investment association um, and I walked around the association. I said, who is the top person here in Connecticut in real estate investing? And then they kept pointing to the same guy. First meeting, I didn't go up to him and introduce myself, but then I took a class on pre-foreclosures. And then uh, next class, I said, all right, who is the best person in Connecticut in pre-foreclosures? They kept pointing the same guy. I'm like, all right. So I walked up to him, introduced myself, and I said, listen, I'm not asking for a dime. I said, I want to join a team. Um, I'm looking to do anything. He said, you know what? I'm actually looking for a door knocker. And I'm like, I'm your guy, right? <laughs> so, and door knocking, obviously, is not the easiest. And I was young enough and naive enough just to say yes. But um, if I go back and, and, and try to look back at would I do anything different, I would say no, right? So that was the start of my journey, if you will. I got you. So I want to circle back to something you talked about, which was 
your self-worth. Um, and, and the reason why I want to talk about this is because a lot of us, when we are starting our, our journey as an entrepreneur, it's because we might have failed in something else or that journey was coming to an end. And for you as an athlete, you know, that that had to be a, a really difficult time for you because your whole life you were told how great you were. You were probably the best on your teams growing up. And and suddenly as an adult, you're starting to realize, hey, my body's failing a little bit. I'm not the best anymore. I'm not going to be able to play hockey forever. Like I'm going to have to change yeah. this up. Mentally, that had to be really difficult to kind of overcome because I know when I left my job of being, you know, hey, essentially the general manager of a restaurant and and then saying I'm leaving that and starting over, I suddenly question like, am I making the right decision? Am, am I good enough to do this? Did I fail at that job? That's why I couldn't go any further in my career. What, what if this doesn't transition over and, and I'm not successful in owning my own business? How did you mentally kind of overcome that hurdle of am I am I going to be good at this? Am I going to be worth, you know, that self-worth doubt that maybe you had? And that's a great question. It, it, it's, a, it's scary. It's a scary place to be in. You know, a lot of athletes do that. Um, they go through that same process that you're just talking about. And the way I did it is I set a goal. Um, well, my first goal was I didn't want to go back to school. So that was something that was driving me. So I wanted to run my own business. So that was my driving force. Um, and one of the things that I've, I've always learned in any transition that I've been through is you have to take action. You have to take one step forward, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you screw up, if you fail, you have to have that goal. You have to have that belief in yourself. And if you have a tough time, you know, having that belief in yourself, have, you know, have a friend, have a spouse, have a, a partner, have somebody that helps you push you along rather than beat you down. Because a lot of us, a lot of us have family members that beat us down saying, hey, you're an right. idiot by doing this. You're dumb by doing this. You need somebody outside there, which is beautiful about all of these podcasts here, right? It is, you know, I jump on with you. That's inspiring, right? That's listening to your podcast every day, listening to all of what's going on, listen to people that um, are inspiring. You know, you, that's our choice. That's our choice to either, you know, be positive this way or go down the negative rabbit hole this way. And I've always chose to go on the positive side of it. And uh, I think that's very, very important for people to to always look at. There's two ways to always go. If you want to go to the positive side, guess what? Listen to great podcasts like yours. If you want to go to a negative side, listen to the conspiracy theory podcast. You can go down the right. other rabbit hole and be miserable all your life. But I chose to go on the right side. Yeah, you know, our, our last episode that was released last week uh, with Jim Mafuccio, you know, he's been in this for 30 years and he talked about all of the failures he had where he literally got foreclosed on. You know, I think he used the phrase he was more broke than broke at one point in time. <laughs> and and now where, you know, he's doing the math. I think he's in his 70s at this point and he's finally hit his stride and he's like, I am I'm rejuvenated and he's found his niche. But it was he looked back and said it was because of my failures. Like that's what allowed me to be successful is because I just kept going through them. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, and he's uh, crushing. I listen. I listened to that episode. Great episode. He's buying second second lean position notes. I know, man. That that Incredible. was some, that was some crazy stuff that he was talking yeah. about. To be honest with you, I, I was. So if y'all haven't listened to that episode, I 
I, I urge you to go back and listen to that because that was a, a very unique podcast for sure. So uh, let, let's talk about, so, all right, you, you, now you've transitioned, you, you've gone out, you're door knocking for someone else, which I think is an incredible, just a, a testament to your will to go out and do whatever you need to do to be successful. Right. I mean, there's a lot of people that I know that reach out to me and they ask me questions like, Hey, RJ, how are you able to do this? Man, I'm the same way. When we got started, it was door knocking. We didn't have money. It was it was just effort. That's what it was. Effort got us to here today. So how long did you door knock for someone else before you were like, okay, now I'm ready to go out and do this on my own? So I door knocked for a year straight. So my schedule was every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'd go from 10 a.m. because people were, you know, they were up by that time to 3 p.m. Right, because I, I always looked at um, family schedule. If kids were coming off the bus, you didn't want to embarrass them because these are all pre-foreclosure properties. Right. So I get a list of all pre-foreclosure properties and door knock. And then when I got home, I would then skip trace those properties because back in the day, you didn't have all of these, you know, batch skip tracing and everything out there that's, right. that's easy for us, right? So I literally would have to go on 401.com and all of the lists that I would have, I would skip trace and then I would call. I'd eat dinner with the family. And then I would call from about 6.30 to about 8.30ish. That was the time that I would actually hammer the phones at night uh, to drum up deals. And then I did that for about a year. And then with my partner at the time, um, we were partners for about, let's say 10, 11 years. And then I graduated from that and then I started negotiating with banks. So I would just hammer the phones and do short sales. We did, I think north of seven, 800 short sales. Um, at that time, and then I'd pull myself out of that role, and then I would hire someone just like the door knocker. And I would then hire someone to take my spot as a door knocker. Then I move on to negotiating debt. So the, that's why I was saying the uh, second lead positions, I was negotiating with those all day long. So I, I understand that it was perfect for me. And then uh, I pulled myself, I brought on a loss mitigator. We built that team up. And then, you know, that's when I was really a business owner. I went from technician to really manager to business owner. I love it. I love it. And and I just real quick, I kind of want to press this upon everyone that's listening. If you're sitting right now and you're struggling in your business and, and maybe mentally you're either complaining to yourself or you're complaining to your partner or spouse, think about what Bob's just talking about here. He was going out, he was door knocking pre-foreclosures, then going home and and didn't have tools that we have today like batch skip tracing. I love that you you brought them up because I love Batch. I love Jesse and Evo and Annie, and and they're they have an amazing product uh, that they just revamped, and and basically it's a one stop shop for real estate investors at this point in time. And you didn't have that. I mean, you were literally having to go on one at a time and looking up phone numbers and cold calling, and and I have people today telling me that they're afraid to place a cold call when they have all of these tools available to them. So just kind of realize how the opportunity that you have in front of you and be grateful for the tools that are available to us nowadays. So I, today's episode is called Scaling Your Business Using Virtual Assistants. So I, I wanna get into that. We're already like 15 minutes in, because it took like 10 minutes to talk about hockey. Uh, so I, I wanna get into that. So at some point in time, you developed a virtual assistant company, yeah. right? Correct, yeah. So two did that come about? Yeah, so uh, through the years, I was obviously flipping properties doing, um, doing short sales. I also 
helped start a couple different education programs, right? So behind the scenes, it's kind of funny in school, I never cared about education. And then all of a sudden now I'm a, I'm a professional, I own my own business. And now education is, I'm, I think education is extremely important on the niche that you want to really focus on. So I noticed through the years, not only my own business, but through other people's businesses that one of the main things that really, really uh, individuals have a challenge are, and that's being efficient in your business, scaling your business or having time freedom for your business. So those are typically, no matter who you talk to, right? Um, you're gonna get one of those three if you're in a different type of phase in your career. So right. uh, 2013, I heard about virtual assistants and I had no idea what a virtual assistant was before then, right? Um, so I'm like, ah, shit, you know, let's check it out. So I tried one. Um, fumbled around that, you know, I was trying to get one myself and then, you know, I'd have to sift through thousands of or hundreds of resumes and then I'd pick one and then, you know, that virtual assistant didn't show up. It was just a, a nightmare, right? Right. So, but a light bulb went off and I said, you know what, why don't I marry my education platform, right, for our students because that is what they need. So 2014, I launched my first company in, in two years. I want to make sure the proof of concept worked because I'm I'm a I'm huge on testing. So even with my virtual assistants now in my business, you know, I test texting, I text, you know, scraping leads on 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 a, a Zillow, on Craigslist, on pre foreclosure. Like I do all of the, a lot of that testing. I love doing that because if I'm going to sell something, I want to make sure it works. Right? I'm just right. I've been I know a lot of people sell stuff that doesn't work, but I can't I can't do that. I'm not that type of you know, for whoever knows me knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. So anyway, proof of concept for two years, made sure it worked. And then, um, you know, fast forward now, it's what, been five years since I've owned a company and uh, it's going very well. Awesome. So when you first heard about virtual assistants, did you kind of have the response that I had, which was, wow, people will actually work for that cheap? I mean, is that kind of what like your thought process was is like, hey, even if the work is kind of subpar, it's still very affordable and maybe I can delegate a couple of things. And then you realize, hey, this is actually something that can change the trajectory of my business. Absolutely. And I realized, too, because I've traveled all over the world. I've played hockey in Japan, played in Europe for four years. I've gone to you know, probably know, a lot of different countries that have hockey available. Um, so I've seen some things, but not understanding what you just said about understanding about um, how individuals could actually support their families for different, because that's just, you know, that's just a different type of things that we see here in the United States a little bit. Right. So, um, I realized that right away and I said, all right, um, there's some incredible talent around the world. And if I could just figure out a way that, um, I could also, like I said, put that together with some of the pain points that I felt when I first was looking for my first virtual assistant, then there's something there. Right. Because a lot of us and, you know, you, you talk about uh, we talked a little bit about batch skip tracing. Right. Um, and I listened to that podcast, actually. Um, I think you were on it with the individuals that you said. And it's kind of the same concept. Right. It's it's a plug and play ease of use. Right. Or do you allow someone to go through the pain of having seven different systems? Do you, and, and what I'm looking at is I created a recruiting department, a training department a placements department, operations department in a different country, which is the same concept you're talking about with batch, right? It's making it the ease of use of onboarding a VA, finding the VA, training them, and also finding them for you just to put you on interviews to where it's just a plug and play at that point. So it's kind of the same concept. Right. So let's, let's get a little bit more granular on this because yeah. I think 
one of the biggest questions that I get about virtual assistants is, is for people that have never used a VA, right? They then say, what am I supposed to delegate to them? Okay, so I hire them. What are they going to do for me? How are they actually going to help me? Because I think at times we get in this focus, especially like, let's just say a wholesaler. It's all about acquisitions and dispositions, right? But there's so many other little small tasks that we just eat up our days doing that we don't even consider a task. So what are some of the things that for someone that's never hired a VA before, what do you suggest they hire right off the bat to do for them? So before I even get into that, what I would do is just break down how a deal works and then the light bulb will go on. So for instance, you have lead generation, Mm -hmm. right? It starts with lead generation. You need leads, meaning you know, whether it's your list, and I'll go over what that means in a second. So you have your list here or whatever you're going to use to generate the, that list, right? Then you have marketing, and then you have lead intake, and then you have deal analysis, and then you have writing the contract, and finally your exit strategy. So if I'm brand new and I'm looking at saying, all right, what do I need help with? Right. There's two things. There's there's one exercise I would definitely do, and I would go through. You know, you, you look at what your income-producing tasks are, non-income-producing tasks are, to start writing them down, right, on one side of the paper, and then that's what you offload first. But what I'll, let's go through this line of thinking with generating leads. So when you look at generating leads, there are list providers that you could buy leads from, right? But you know, you, you look at it, you say, okay, I'm going to buy a non-occupied list, and so are you. We're in the same market. All right, what kind of market are you doing to get to that lead quicker, right? So now you're really swimming in the same pool. But as we know in real estate, it's a numbers game, right? Right. So you're going to cold call, you're going to text, you're going to direct mail. What are you going to do to get that? And if you look at statistically speaking, you know, 70% of all properties that are bought are not bought off the first touch, right? I think it's, it's around only 2% of all properties close after the first initial meeting. Right. And if you go down, it's probably within the seventh or, or 12th touch is where you actually buy that property. Yep. So that, that's why, I mean, for me personally, when I first started this business, um, you know, I was quitting after the first, second touch because yep. you, know, you, you get a bunch of, you get new lists in, you get new leads in, and it's just like, you know, rinse and repeat all the time where you have a pile of leads. And you're like, ah, screw that. I'm going to take a low hanging fruit. Right. <laughs> you know? so, so just to get back to that, so you have lead generation, which would be, you know, are they buyer's leads or are they seller leads? Right. And there's different ways to generate those leads. You know, you could generate buyer's leads manually, which we do, because um, the, the reason why we do it manually now is because the industry has shifted. You have to make sure that your buyers yesterday are buying today. Yep. Right. So we have our VAs go on Facebook groups, post in Facebook groups, post on LinkedIn, go in those groups. Right. You have you go on Google, scrape Google, because some of those players that were here yesterday are gone on that list. Yep. Right. And then you follow a script and then you pre-screen them. Boom. Go on your buyer's list. And on the seller side, very, very simple as well. You could go on. A, and I'm up here in Connecticut. So I'll just give you a cool little thing that we do in Connecticut because we're in a cold area. Right. So we actually go to the Zillow for rent section. So my VA scrapes all of her rents, puts them on a spreadsheet, and we, get, we have a, a four-phase process. So number one, phase one is they'll scrape them. Phase two, what they're going to do is text them saying we're local landlords in the area looking to buy properties. And then if there's nothing, then we follow up. And then the next, the, so the end goal, just for everyone listening, is to get an email address so I can email them an offer. Right. Right. And because obviously in Zillow, you get different types of information, phone numbers, et cetera. Um, but again, I'm not doing it at this point. 
my VA is doing all this. And mm -hmm. the end of really where it turns into a hot lead where the VA sends it to me and says, you know what? They're actually entertaining that offer. I'm like, all right, cool. So same thing with Craigslist, same thing, you know, with Facebook Marketplace, that same system can be done. So that's more on that, you know, seller lead side. Um, another one is, uh, you know, you could go on to code violations, probates, tax liens, all that kind of stuff. Pre-foreclosure, we have our VA scrape all our pre-foreclosure leads and lists um, on our judicial website. We're in a long state here in Connecticut, which is takes forever. I know you guys are quicker, uh, yeah. but if you have a, if you have a way to get those lists before everyone else, I would have a VA scrape those leads, figure out how you do it, and then get them to you right away. You'll be ahead of anyone who gets them from you know any list provider, title company, etc. So, um, did you have any questions on that? I'm sorry, I know I'm, I'm yeah, going real quick. I, I want to throw something out there because you were talking about you know what tasks to delegate to VAs and writing down all of the tasks that are revenue generating and non-revenue generating. And this is one of the biggest mistakes that Cassie and I made with Titanium. It was because we were, I guess, listening to what other people were doing in their businesses. Yeah. And it was, we, we were, I guess, not taught, but what we heard was, is once you achieve a certain amount of success, now you need to go hire an acquisitions manager and a dispositions manager. And what I ended up doing was, is the first thing I ever delegated in my business was all of the revenue generating activity. Yeah. And what did I leave on my plate? All of the non-revenue generating activities. I basically became the bookkeeper and you know the guy that was you know pulling lists and doing the skip tracing. So my employees could go out and make me money, which at some point in time, I had to step back and be like, whoa, 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 I could have hired a VA yeah. to do the list pulling while I continued to do acquisitions because who's going to care more about my company than me? Nobody. Nobody cares more about my company than me. And so, and I had already set the standard for what acquisitions should look like, right? Yeah. But no one's going to come in and do it the same way that I'm going to do it. And so that was a mistake that we made early on. So I, that's why I asked you about, hey, what would you delegate to a VA right off the bat? And if you had to ask me if I could redo some of the mistakes I made, which was, hey, no, RJ, you're not an accountant. I never went to school to be an accountant. I don't know why I thought I needed to be Titanium Investments accountant. Take it off my plate. Let somebody else that's qualified to do that. And I just maintain doing what I'm, I'm actually talented in, which is acquisitions property analysis, things like that. So, I, sorry, I had to kind of go on that rant a little bit because I just think that's a mistake that people make. It just feels like that's what you're told to do. It's like, go hire an acquisitions manager and take that off your plate right off the bat. So, anyway. Can, can I add to that? Because I love yeah, that because absolutely. I see the same exact thing, right? You look at, you know, I have individuals that hire a virtual assistant saying, hey, I want them to run my business. And I said, well, I'm not the company for you because if you want somebody else to run the business for you, I, you know, if someone's going to tell you that they could they could do that, they're lying to you. Because right. just like you just said, off off they're outsourcing the the list pulling, outsourcing like I just said, like Zillow, Craigslist, all of those things. If you notice too, when we talked about the process, it's when they give the hot lead to you, to you or me. That's where the money is made. They'll right. do all of this. The idea of working with and outsourcing some of your work is to gauge seller motivation. So I just want to say that again, to gauge seller motivation, not yeah. to close the deal for you. 
because that is my job. That's your job as a business owner to close it because I always look at this. If I have my real estate license, I can wholesale, I can rehab, or I buy and hold. Those are four different ways I can make money, right? Right. Because I'm different than anybody else. If, if I'm relying on someone else to make money for me, I'm going to be in trouble over time. Absolutely. Okay. And, and look, it's very simple. This is human nature. I mean, let's just talk about a very hot lead that comes in. You're, you're probably going to be paying an acquisitions rep anywhere between 8 to maybe 20%. Okay, that's... Somewhere in that range, that's what you're going to pay an acquisitions manager. If you know that you can go in and you could get them, let's just use a round number, $1,000 less. That $1,000 is very small amount of, of commission to that acquisitions manager when, for us, that's anywhere of $920 that we might be saving more revenue to our business. And then you start adding that up and it's like, hey, over a course of, a hundred deals you're talking about that's close to a hundred thousand dollars you know yeah. i mean this is big difference and it's just human nature that they're not going to care as much as we do and i'm not saying look hey look at the end of the day i want people to scale their businesses up have acquisitions managers things like that just not right out the gate like i did and make those same mistakes so anyways you can you can now continue on about using virtual assistants in your business which yeah. i kind of had to go on a little rant there absolutely we, we could go on a lot of a lot of rabbit holes we're having fun here so it's good so on the uh, lead generation side then that rolls into marketing right so what are you going to do uh in marketing and how could you outsource that to somebody else so it's done consistently and i see that to be a very very challenge with a lot of a lot of investors is it's not done consistently so for me what i do with my and i'll just give you an example of what i do um like i said on the marketing side i have cold callers calling i have my virtual assistants cold calling every single day i also have them text messaging every single day they set up my direct mail to go out every monday so i have 200 so we typically budget up here in connecticut we budget about two thousand dollars a month on direct mail so we have we spread it out monday 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 so make sure it goes out every monday the reason why we do that is because at that point um we have to make sure that it's done consistently and we're not overloaded with calls at you know one week or two weeks and then there's nothing there so right. that's really the concept of it and then uh, we also have social media branding, but that's just a little overview of, of the marketing side of it. On the direct mail, who's answering the, the phone calls? Yeah, I was going to get to that. We have a virtual assistant now. We have a Ring Central number. Um, you know, there's a lot of different softwares that could actually, a lot of CRMs that could tie to different types of numbers, but we have a Ring Central number. It goes right to our virtual assistant to take a lead intake, right? Now, I do want to cover this because this is a very, very important point. You have some types of if you look at the, the word managed services, right? So that's like a direct mail fulfillment, someone doing that for you and taking the lead. When you're doing outbound dialing, that's a little different because what you're doing is, you know, you're throwing out, let's say a thousand calls, 2000 calls, 3000, 4000 a week. And it's just like your cell phone ring, right? There's no sense of motivation potentially to cold calls. It's a numbers game. Right. So, I get, you know, I talked to a lot of people saying, well, you know, cold calling's not working, even though they bought two deals last month, but they didn't buy a deal this month. It's a long game. It's, it's really all of that stuff compiled together where I don't have to do it. I used to cold call and I freaking burnt myself out. So I'm like, dude, you know what? I'm out. And I, I hear this too, and I, I'm sure you hear this part of it. Well, no one could cold call as good as me. Um, 
that is probably true, but that's okay. For me personally, that's okay because right. I would rather do the volume numbers and not burn myself out because that's a great thing a virtual assistant can do for you because they just keep going. That's part of what they do, right? right. So for me personally, I've cold called. I thought I was pretty good, right? But now I know that, hey, guess what? If I outsource it, I could build my business here because that marketing is consistently going out, consistently going out. So well, we have I want to ask you a question because obviously you deal with entrepreneurs or your company does that are hiring your VA services, right? Yep. How often are you hearing the complaint of the quality of the leads or there's there's a dip in in the quality of performance by VAs? And, and before you answer that, I want to give my opinion on this because I think naturally as entrepreneurs, we're all control freaks, okay? And so for whatever reason, we would be we would feel better about having someone in our office that we pay $12 an hour, $15 an hour to sit there and give us basically the same production, but because they're in our office, we're seeing it, we can have those conversations, then someone virtually that's out there that we don't see them on a daily basis and I feel like that's why the main complaint of quality isn't the same. So do you hear that complaint? And, and what are your feelings about that? Yeah, you know what I've seen? It's so it's a comfort level. It's individuals that have that use virtual assistance and they know it's a long game. They're the most successful and they do it consistently. The ones that are really, really tight on budget and they need, need a deal today. That's where you more hear that yep. information from because they just don't, they haven't been in the game long enough and they don't understand that it takes a long time to nurture a lead. Because once you think about this, if I call you today, your, your, your situation may change tomorrow or the next day. Because if you're an out-of-state owner, right, and all of a sudden COVID hits, but I called you before COVID, your motivation is different today. Right. right? Now your tenant may stop paying and now guess what? Now your, our, our price just went down, but now you're more motivated because you want that X amount of money. I also right. did listen in that great podcast you did with Lee Kearney as well. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff there that you could pull from. And it's cash today is different than cash two months ago. And it's going to be different than cash three, three months from now. Yep. Look, there's so many different reasons why a lead has to be nurtured. I mean, you threw out some great examples, but I mean, there are times where, you know, hey, a plumbing backup or a, a roof fails or whatever. And suddenly now just the timing of the phone call and, and having that conversation and make sure, like you said, nurturing it, that can lead to a conversion just because you're always staying in front of them, especially when you're talking about calling tired landlords or like you said, out, out of state absentee owners, things along those lines. Um, so when you when you do hear those complaints though how are you guys kind of handling that because i know i i hear a lot from real estate investors where it's like hey i wanted to change the va i wanted to make sure hey i didn't like the way this one sounded on the phone so i changed is that something you guys kind of deal with internally or are you allowing the real estate investor to kind of pick and choose which VA works for their company. Yeah, so we do let our virtual or we do let our clients uh, interview as many virtual assistants as they feel that will be the perfect fit. So we do allow that um, and we address it too. We have a client, what we call a client service manager that is really partners and manages the virtual assistant and client relationship that will also go in and listen to calls as well and coach the VA. So I think that's gotcha. very important. So um, I think that is one thing that is extremely, extremely important because we're busy, right? 
we're busy out flipping deals, doing doing whatever we're doing on a daily basis. So for us to really, really micromanage anyone, sometimes it gets difficult, right? So that's why we put the extra layer of management over the virtual assistant with our client. It just seems to work with our structure very well. Right. Your clients seem to like it. Um, I want to touch upon something that you did say, which is really important. Um, a lot of our a lot of our clients, um, probably a high percentage of them, use our virtual assistants for follow up. So you said follow up a number of times. So I just wanted to make sure that I I address that because even on a cold call, direct mail, text, whatever, you're going to get a pile of leads here, right? Yep. And for us personally, if we talk to them once and they're warm. Those are not the, we're, we're typically not going to follow up with them again. I mean, that's just, that's a lot of human nature of us uh, investors, unless we have a nurture system, right? right? To where our nurture system is, we get their email, we get their cells, and then, and we get a, so we, we email, we uh, text, and we call. So email, text, call. So we have a, a couple different systems, but typically a good, I would say that a very good thing for individuals, you could, you could copy me. Day 14, day 28, day 14, day 28, day 14, day 28, send an email, text, call, email, text, call, right? right? So I think that's a good, if, you know, if anyone's taking notes on this, that's a very, very good model to follow. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I want to I touch base on something. I, I had the opportunity to compete in the 2020 Closers Olympics. It was, it'll be two weeks from, you know, Saturday, this coming Saturday. So when this comes out, probably two and a half weeks ago. Okay. I, I had 30 minutes to cold call and close leads for other people. Okay. I got two verbal agreements in 28 and a half minutes. Everybody thought it was the craziest thing of all time. I, I, I hit a heater and it was my shining moment. I, I don't think I'll ever break that. that moment, right. Uh, now what people don't know is these were real sellers with real wholesale, these were real wholesalers leads. Like these people are calling me like, RJ, you just closed my lead. And I'm like, but I didn't, like I got a verbal. Now I have to go close that deal. The follow-up since that moment is still going on today. I'm still having to follow up and like answer new questions. Now mm -hmm. there's new information coming out and I'm having to communicate to the wholesaler and talk to the seller. Follow-up is, I mean, Everybody says it's gold in this business, but it, that's not even fair to say. I mean, it's everything in this business. Yeah. Like without yeah. it, I mean, I could have easily just walked away and said, I got those two contracts, but they wouldn't have been contracts and no one would have made money. But because now here I am two weeks into this, still following up with them and talking to them about yeah. their needs and how we're going to solve the problem. That's where we are. So uh, that being said, you have a saying on here. Uh, that I thought was incredible. I don't know if you came up with this, but it says, do what you do best, outsource the rest. <laughs> and and you know what? I wanted that to be the the damn title to the podcast, but some other podcast hosts in the in the past used it. And so I, I'm mad at that guy. <laughs> you, 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 you were the guest and he used that title. And I was like, you ruined it for me. So uh, when, you, when you say that, I mean, you're talking about your business and- it sounds like the dream scenario, man. I mean, you're talking about you've got people texting for you, cold calling, you've got direct mail, you've got the lead intake. For you as a company, how easy is that when you come in and there's your leads just lined up for you? All you have to do at that point in time is just close. 
does that allow you to have a smaller acquisitions team because it is so warm and nurtured instead of having to kind of chase down these cold leads? That's a great question and the answer is yes. So we have right now, it's myself, but my business partner, Adam and Tim typically take care of that. So it's two people. So we don't have to have five, 10, 50, because what we're right. doing, we're having all of those on the lead generation. It's really a setter closer model. If, you, if For all of you sales individuals, you look at the setter closer model where we as the acquisitions are closing. Right, so we set all those properties, set all of it, boom, and then you close. You set an appointment, you go to the appointment. Um, we've been doing a very, very good job as well because um, I'm going through uh, my get my license again. I let it lapse, uh, but there's a lot of money left on the table. My business partner has his license, um, but there's a lot of money that we've thrown away because I didn't have my license over the years, and I let it last because I just wasn't using it. But now right. we're in a different we're in a different environment. We have to pivot. So for me personally, um, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars I know we're going to make this year because we have a license called those tweener deals, right? Where you can't wholesale or, you know, you can't re you can't get it down enough. I like to call those the little tweeners there where guess what? They're still motivated. Right. Why would I get that lead up to somebody else? Why can't we just listen to make five, 10 grand on it? It's sometimes as high as a wholesale deal. Right. Absolutely. So I want to ask you another question about hiring VAs because you know, I, like I said previously, I get people that send me DMs, they call me and they're like, RJ, man, you know, I've got these issues going on in my company. And this is my favorite phrase that people tell me. I'm thinking about hiring a VA. First of all, they're making it sound like they're about to hire someone and pay them $100,000 a year. Like, you think about it like that's like saying you're thinking about sending out a postcard like why haven't you just done it like, yeah. <laughs> either do it or don't like right. this, but this is not a huge decision but um what are your thoughts about people hiring one or two vas in comparison to saying i'm gonna go all in on the va strategy and i'm gonna set this up with a team of vas that i'm gonna outsource you know, like like you've kind of broken it down, list pulling, cold calling, text messaging, uh, lead intake, whatever it is, and really kind of diving into that. Do you see people doing that often or is it kind of a slow build up process one at a time? So whenever I get on a, a call with a client, I always recommend start with one, right? Of course, my company, we would obviously profit more if, we, if they had many, but through the years I've seen, hey, let's start with one and you have a great experience and we build off of it because here's the way I look at it. If you have a great experience, then you're going to tell everybody about my company, right? right? If you have a terrible experience, then, you know, you're not going to tell anyone about it. So I would rather set you up for success. And I've seen in business, I've helped build businesses where it starts with one employee. You're not going to hire 10 employees or 20 employees, right? Same thing with virtual assistants, right? Start, start with one. And then, Hey, now the reason why I say that too, is because if you never worked with a virtual assistant, it'll gain, you will gain confidence and say, hey, guess what? This really does work. So a lot of it for us is mental. Um, and the reason why I'm going through this is because I went through the same exact process to say, hey, I want to I want to hire 10. And then, you know, if you, if you go hire 10, then you got to manage 10 people where if you never understood or, or learned how to manage somebody, right? It doesn't matter if they're sitting in your office, you have 10 people in your office and you never managed anybody, you're going to fail, right? right? It doesn't matter if they're here or in Dallas or wherever. It's, it's, so I start with, I always recommend we start with one, hone in exactly what you want done, and then we build off of it. 
it's a building block, right? Because we know in this business, it's it's a marathon, not as you know, it's it takes a long time. It's the journey and the process that you go upon. So real quick, I, I this is probably going to be the first time that I've ever had to do this in in 132 episodes, but I'm gonna have to correct you on something. Uh -oh. I'm not in Dallas. I'm in Fort Worth. Okay. Oh, Fort Worth. Sorry. Big, that's right. There's a big difference down here. Okay. Oh, I didn't say you though. I didn't say you. Example. <laughs> hey, hey, us Fort Worth people. You know, we're kind of like, ah, don't call us Dallas. Okay. There, there's a difference. <laughs> so, hopefully, the DFW people that are listening will get a kick out of that because we know what we're talking about down here. But uh, so, for the people that are on the fence about hiring a, a virtual assistant, I mean, what, what 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 advice would you give them? What like what can kind of get them off the fence? Because honestly, man, I'm hoping this podcast like gets people to stop messaging me and asking if they should hire a virtual assistant or not. It's like just get off the fence. What what advice would you give them? I would say, what is your time worth? Right. If you're doing ten dollar ten dollar an hour task, you're gonna have ten dollar an hour bank account. So that's what I would start with. Right. I mean, that's really the way I look at any decision. Saying, all right, if we're gonna do those ten dollar an hour tasks, what does that mean with the end result of what that's gonna put in our bank account? So I think that's a just a different way to look at it. Gotcha. All right, man. Well, we're running out of time here. I I could probably talk to you for another hour and a half about these different topics, especially if we start talking about hockey again which I'm probably going to ask you one more question about hockey before we wrap up. But uh, for, for the people that are interested in learning more about your services, where's the best place for them to find out more about it and the pricing and, and how they can get involved? Yeah. So go to Reva Global, R-E-V-A Global.com. Um, we have a YouTube channel as well. You can check us out. Um, we have a podcast that's called the Friday Coffee Break. It's not branded Reva Global, but it is uh, Friday Coffee Break, uh, 1030 a.m. on Fridays, EST. So it's pretty cool. It's myself, uh, Amy Renzel and Patrick Precourt. We do it uh, kind of a, a series open Q&A. It's pretty cool. But uh, our website's the best way where you can email me direct, Bob at RevaGlobal.com. Awesome, man. All right. So my last question about hockey, because, you know, I'm tired of talking about real estate at this point in time. Uh, what are your thoughts about this uh, playoff format that they're doing, uh, you know, with COVID? You know, this is this is really crazy, like what it's done to kind of the sports world. I mean, with everything that's going on and now, you know, they're trying to figure out how they're going to finish the season. And it looks like we're going to have a 2014 playoff. Uh, do you like it? Do you not like it? What are your thoughts about it? I love it. I just want any sport back, man. I, can't, I don't care if it's hockey. I don't care if they go one-on-one, -on -one, right? Because they want social distancing. I want to see something. Right, right. I, I do like uh, that they're going to try something because um, in any sporting, you know, I know football, they're talking about football, et cetera. Um, I love it because I want to see, I'm, I'm a huge sports fan and I want to see something on TV, just something positive on TV. That's what I want to see. I, I'm not going to lie, man. Uh, I've watched more WWE wrestling than probably my entire life. Uh, I, I watch horse racing all the time because it's it's now it's it, they're still going. And uh, I actually watched a UFC fight with no fans. And it was quite possibly one of the most awkward fights I've ever seen in my life where it's like, man, I'm just ready for things to kind of get back to, to the normal. Hopefully that's in the near future. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to real life sports getting back on yes. the like you said. Uh, Bob, man, thank you so much for uh, for being a, a good sport with me and, and allowing me to talk about hockey way too much on a real estate podcast. 
but it, but also sharing a ton of wisdom about using VAs in your business. Uh, guys, if you didn't catch what Bob basically laid out, I mean, he has uh, what I would consider a dream setup where he's got VAs going out, doing the lead generation, and he has a very small team on the back end that can come in and close deals at a very high profit margin because it's essentially the people that care the most about the business closing the deals. So, Bob, any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, just work hard, play hard, and uh, have a lot of fun. It starts with work, but I appreciate you having me on here. Thank you very much. Awesome, guys. All right, so like I tell you every week, if you're listening on iTunes, I only accept five-star ratings. So if you have, uh, if you want to give me any less than that, go give it to somebody else. Uh, I heard Steve Trang really likes three-star ratings. Uh, I only like five-star. Uh, and if you're listening on YouTube, uh, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you see all of our future videos. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Bob. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.